Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back, listeners. This is Snakes and Otters. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, today we have a great episode ahead of us. Christian Rome through the fall of the Western Roman Empire is what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, Martin's got something for us. Yes, I do, Robert. Yes, I do. We have, in my hot little hand here... The first listener email. Woohoo! Yay! So, this is from Kim in Louisville. It says, Hey, Martin, Robert, and Francis. Love the November Hoopajube. Hoopajube in November was about uh, gratitude. Gratitude, That's yeah. right. That was our gratitude so, episode. Gratitude episode. She says, uh, I have a suggestion for a future Hoopajube. You guys should do a Sheldon Cooper-style Fun with Flags episode. It could be super fun. And, I, you know, I think Kim's right. I think uh, an episode on vexillology would be right in our wheelhouse. Oh, everything's in our wheelhouse. <laughs> that's true. Everything that's is right. in our we'll wheelhouse. We'll make it in our wheelhouse. We'll <laughs> so, add it on in addition if we need to. So I think that's a tremendous idea. We'll have to pencil that in for a future hoopajube. And uh, I am going to claim the flag of Mozambique right from the beginning. Okay. And why? Why is that? Because it is the only world flag that features a firearm. Actual firearm uh, it, it with fe- bullets and it everything. It features an AK-47 because of their revolutionary past and all. So, okay, oh. I'll, I'll grant you. Uh, you'll probably want to do the Union Jack. Probably, Francis. yeah. Being being the the Britannia guy, I am. The Anglophile. Anglophile is exactly it. You'll want to do. I'll have to think about mine. I have no idea. Okay, I have no idea. No, not French, sir. Why? So I well, but, I don't want. So you can fart in my general direction. Well, yes, that's, that's, right. that's one way to put it. Exactly. <laughs> Talk with an outrageous accent. Come on. Mm. So there you go, boys and girls. There's your first ep- uh, first lesson in vexillology. That sounds cool. All right. We'll have Fantastic to- news. We got our first listener email. That's Thank awesome. you, Kim in Louisville. All right. So talking about Wom, the Woman Empire. This now remember this is the third episode in our series right. on Rome, and this is. Going to cover the period where Christianity became accepted up through the end of the Roman Empire in the West. Now, okay. the Roman Empire in the East is still going on. That's what eventually became the Byzantine Empire. And that didn't fall until the early 1400s. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to talk about that because really, once you get two emperors, there really are two Romes. Yeah. And for us in the West, when we say Rome, we think of only the Western right. Roman we think Empire. Latin. We right, think Italy. Yeah, what is yeah? What is centered around because, the city yeah. of Rome? Yeah, Western the, Europe. The empire centered around Constantinople really becomes more Hellenic. It very does. More of, so, Greek yeah. empire. more of a Greek empire. Greek that's right. It's very Eastern in many the ways. The lingua franca, uh-huh. uh, more than Latin. The art, art is very different. Uh, social structure is very different. Yes. Uh, and which is the connections they make and, are very and different. And eventually, even uh, the religion completely schisms. The, yes. the great, yeah, the which great is schism. the great kiss schism. That's right. Yeah, which is that's a we could do a whole episode just on that. No, I mean, you're multiple episodes. Yeah, on that's that. right. There's a lot. There's a lot there. But so, you're right. The divide was beginning. It definitely was. Now, one of the things that uh, really struck me when I started looking at what we were going to talk about is this is the shortest period of our Roman history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is you know we did the the Republic. It was several centuries. The empire covers several centuries. Right. This only covers about 175 years. So the the period that I'm choosing, that 175 years, 
is the last great persecution by Diocletian. Because that's basically, they're at the lowest ebb as far as popularity within the Roman government. Okay. And then a dozen years later, you've got Constantine. Oh, yes. Who has his, his dream, his vision... Uh, about seeing the the cross and says, by this sign you shall conquer. conquer. And he wins the battle at the bridge. And within a year or two, I think it's with just one year, is when he legalizes Christianity with the Edict of Milan. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, with the exception of a short time period with Julian the Apostate, Christianity is legal. It doesn't actually become the official religion of the empire for about another 50 years. Yeah, Yeah, because that is the next thing. Not only is it Completely legal and protected, it essentially becomes the official, uh, and you you have to be a Christian then to become a part of Rome. Right, right. Uh, you know, and, and that's to our ears today. That sounds so odd, yeah. Uh, especially in America, because you know we don't have official religion. Uh, but every country, every nation, every little kingdom, every little fiefdom had an official religion. Yeah. Whatever the ruler was is what you were. And so this is not yeah. new. No, this and this stayed that way for a thousand years. Plus, yeah. you know, for a long, long time. I mean, the American <laughs> experiment of freedom of religion, like we talked about with Voltaire, it was unheard of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Rome came the closest because they actually tolerated quite a few religions. That's right, yeah. Prior to Christianity, uh, which, oddly enough, it was persecuted because they were considered atheists. Right. Because they refused to acknowledge the pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. And so, to that, to the, to the uh, early Romans, that was atheism, which sounds really odd to us today as well. Right. So, <clears throat> we're in the early 300s. Constantine has had his vision. He's conquered. He is the soul. And th- then there's another battle uh, a little bit later. Uh, I think... 10, 15 years later, where he uh, finally uh, takes care of his rival in the East. He right. is the sole right. Solidifies power. Roman Maxentius? emperor. Maxentius? Yes, Maxentius. Yes, thank you. Wow. Okay. He is, and if I'm wrong on that... <laughs> Very good. Very good, yeah. If I'm wrong on that, one of our listeners can email us, because as you know, we will read those emails on the air. That's right. So he has become the sole emperor over the Roman Empire. And this, if you look at a map, is pretty close to the height yeah. Of Roman control of the Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is a Roman-Italian lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they've yeah. got all of northern Africa. Yeah. They've got all of southern to middle Europe. They mm-hmm. never really quite go all the way to the top of Germany. Yeah, uh, the Rhine to, is kind of the, yeah, yeah, the this boundary. Rhine is still the boundary, but... Gaul, you know, they're, they're in Spania, England at this point yeah, still. Spania, Absolutely, yeah. They're up, up is, to Hadrian's Wall yeah. in Scotland. And uh, and they, they would do some trading with their border folks. You know, they got along pretty well with them. Uh, but they, you know, there was no administrative presence across right, the way. Yeah, right. So the thing that I want to talk about, um, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but one of the things I want to lay to rest, at least for us, mm-hmm. is this myth that Christianity is the cause of the downfall of the Roman Empire. Ah, uh, yeah. As I put it, and we were talking about what we were going to talk about earlier, and that is that Rome is not the victim of Christianity, as many would portray it. Christianity is what actually saves and preserves what is best about what it means to be Roman. Because it, it becomes completely intertwined. It does. Roman art becomes Christian art. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman administrative structures become church administrative structures. Right. Mm-hmm. Dioceses 
is a Roman word. It's a Latin Roman word. I that's mean, right. that's that's it's an administrative division of the empire that then carries forward to be a, a division of the church. Um, so here's something though I want to uh, want to challenge you a little bit on. It's one of those. Uh, I don't want this to be a straw man thing. Sure. I want you to give me a little bit on that initial statement about that this feeling of that Christianity caused the fall of of the West. <clears throat> oh, why do people think that? Yes, yes. I don't. I don't want to <clears throat> set that up and knock it down without sure. without giving you a chance to put some foundation to it. Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, I cannot give you, well, you know, if you read this historian or this article or whatever, but I would say probably most people have at least heard that theory either through history, through some some sort. I mean, it's common enough where everybody's like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And part of the reason for that is that the rise of Christianity just happens to coincide with the decline of the empire. As Christianity is rising... The empire starts to fall, but they are it's not religious reasons why the empire is declining. They are societal and political issues, not religious issues. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a lot of strife in the empire mm-hmm. around what it means to be a Christian during this time. Mm-hmm. But it is not strife that breaks down the bonds of the society, oddly enough. Right. Uh, which, when you think about it, that's probably even unique in history. When there are religious mm-hmm. differences, it breaks apart society. This Certainly a, in Europe later, it will. Yeah, This is a unifying moment. It is, in, in many, many ways and it is. And it's not always done, although, you know, uh, detractors would say it's done at the point of the sword. That's not the way Rome operated. No, and certainly when Rome is on the decline, and by the time uh, the last Roman empor- emperor in the West uh, basically uh, secedes his uh, authority and sends it off to the, the, the East and says, here, you, and granted, this is at the sword point, point of a sword of a uh, Roman general who's basically, they're running things that last yeah, 50 facto, years or so. Yeah. Uh, by that point, Rome is just Italy. There's not much more to, to, to what we would call the empire. Yeah, the connective tissue Italy. is all gone. Exactly. Uh, and, that, and again, that, that is more outside forces. It's migratory pressure is what it is. It is. Uh, uh, it just, like I said, it just happens to coincide. And those who are atheists or those who have a thing against the church, they point to the church and say, see, those damn Catholics or those damn Christians, they caused the fall of Rome. And that is that is absolutely not the case. You know, the fall was inevitable in a certain Right, way. we've talked about this. The right. fall was exactly. inevitable. Yeah, it's um, just how and when is really the question. Right. And so what I want to throw out here uh, real quick, and then Martin, you can uh, jump in on that. Um what I see as the fall is not so much Christianity becoming popular and having the, the religious structure. Because we have all those church councils. There's like a half, there's like four, I think, in this 175 years. Mm-hmm. Might be right. five, I'd have, I'd, but it's, it's at least four. And these are major issues. These are things that cause bishops to be deposed and exiled and brought back and exiled Coping again. with Arianism. And Nestorianism and, and Donatism and all of these other things that are going on. It's a Pelagianism. Defini- yeah, it's a <clears throat> definition. Most of these things are what do we really believe. Right. Uh, and what, by, that, by that definition, that means we don't believe anything that's outside of that. And that was the process of this. Uh, you might call it a, a search for orthodoxy. It's not quite that... Well, in a way, Where it is because it is. that's what Constantine starts, that's and, right. you're, and exactly, you're doing it under the umbrella and the, the protection now of 
the emperor. And it's done very collegially. And that's something that we don't get because Second Saint of, Nick punches Arius in well, the nose. I mean, but other hey, than that, it, it <laughs> happens. But, but it absolutely. doesn't turn but, into splitting the church into no, two warring it, tribes. Right. It is not a civil war. It is it is a unitive function. Yes. Sooner so, or later, we all agree that this is the way it's going to be, and we come together to make those decisions. Yes, there are some that are dissenters. But there will always be dissenters. There always, but yeah. sooner or later they are brought back into the fold over time because right. yes. And, and here's the brilliance of it: most of the time, the search for orthodoxy is what made sense. It had to be that way. There's a yes. logic to it, uh, based on what was known at the time. And for those who went outside that, they can't stand. It's not because they're outside; it's because their whole argument doesn't work. Right. It's yeah. very. It's a, it actually an intellectual exercise in many ways. Oh, it, it absolutely it is, is. Uh, because as we talked about with Aquinas, you know, what what the church believes has to make sense. Absolutely. Because if for no other reason than if it doesn't, it will fall to the to the side of the road, just like all of these heresies that the church humans are searchers. Exactly. That's right. So we're searching for something to, to grab on. That's right. Those we, eternal truths. Yeah. If we pull so, a mask off and find there's nothing underneath, we dismiss that. The church is very clear. We've got to make sense and we've got to be consistent with ourselves. Right. So I think we can lay to bed that the church is not the cause. Yeah. Now, yeah. somebody else may want to argue with that, but that's not the purpose of this episode. Mm -hmm. So to me... Let me let me give you yeah, one yeah, more yeah. quick thing, though. Absolutely. Uh, while well, it's in my brain and before it zooms out... Uh, you're talking about the point of the sword. Mm -hmm. That's a. That's also this kind of common Christianity. That's conquered. correct. That's correct. That's, that's a big misunderstanding. I, I just finished um, a a book by Neil Oliver. I think is his name. Yes, he's a Scottish Vikings. historian. Yes, yes, Scottish historian. He's not Scottish as clap. That's that's he's, exactly. he's a BBC guy. He has done. He did a wonderful thing on Scotland for the BBC. You can probably find it lots of places. He's a. He really knows his stuff. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, right here. So this was uh, on Vikings, which is in my house, as I've talked about. Vikings is a big deal, um, and he talked about that. There's there's becomes the Christianizing of the Viking kingdoms mm -hmm. is not through conquering. Absolutely not. It's actually protective. Uh huh. It's gee, Charlemagne's right on my borders. Mm -hmm. So how about this? How about we become Christian too? Christians don't attack each other. That's it. Christian kingdoms generally did not go right. This is when Christendom was still a true thing. Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> when you're you're trying to protect your kingdom, it was, hey, you know what? I got one less enemy if I become Christian. It's not the best reason to convert. But it, it worked. It worked. It worked. It uh, obviously was not true in all cases. Right. But but it, Denmark yeah. becomes a Christian kingdom essentially right. through that means that Charlemagne is on their border. Right. And and then it. But you know that would not be sustainable over time if Christianity didn't have something more to offer. Exactly. Yes. It then becomes that's right ingrained in and it becomes that attract that that's right. that sustaining force that's right. to, in that kingdom. And to say that it was somehow false or not worth believing in misses the point, because you've got to understand that however Christianity became exposed to new converts through evangelization and whatever whatever man it. It would not have stayed there over generations. It would have it would have fallen away if it didn't have something very have, important. To it would offer. have fallen as soon as that ruler that. It's correct. Exactly. That, you know, within a generation, as it's as gone. They'll go back Viking to the old King, ways. Yeah. Christianity so, offered something much much better. 
Right. And that's that's one okay. of the reasons. So let's bring this back. Because the point was not how how Christianity <laughs> grew outside of Rome. That's right. <laughs> so let's go back to Rome and this decline. Because unfortunately, like I said, it does coincide with the rise of Christianity. Yeah. But the decline to me, and we've talked about this before in the lead up with the Empire and the Republic. And that is, I think... The reason Rome ends up falling in this 175-year time period is not because of Christianity so much as because of its own success, its own prosperity. Okay. So we've talked about how the Pax Romana, was it real? And we said, well, yes and no. Right. And part of that yes was of how successful they were in spreading the idea of being Roman. Mm-hmm. And so you have all of these places where the garrisons become local, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And when that happens, you have less allegiance to the central authority. And let's face it, once you get to be a certain size, it's awfully hard to have a strong central authority when you have no means of communication other than riders on horseback. Right. Right? So eventually you've got this huge empire that does not go to all uh, uh, all, uh, physical barriers such as the sea or the Ural Mountains right mm-hmm. so you have ways for barbarians to get in uh, does not go all the way in Africa to the Sahara where nobody can cross there's plenty of ways to get to yeah. uh, the the civilization that is Rome mm-hmm. and so they become so large that it becomes almost inevitable that their reach has gotten too far and as soon as you get an ambitious barbarian, because that's anybody who was not Roman was a barbarian. Right, exactly. Uh, who has a little bit of power. It's really easy to start nibbling away at the edges. And Especially when you realize they have lots of great stuff there. Yes. Uh, yes. It, it, civilization breeds those who want to take from you these great things they, they, that they themselves that cannot create. And when you look at how Rome is structured with the East and the West, the primary power and authority is in the East. It's Constantinople. It's Constantinople. Right. Constantinople is, for this time period anyway, fairly impregnable. It is. It is impregnable until what, 1406 when... Gunpowder. Uh, well, it wasn't <laughs> even that. They, somebody either let them in or left a gate unlocked, however right. the story goes. Yeah. But, I mean, even then, yeah. it was not a done deal that, that the city was going to fall. Yeah. So... <clears throat> When we look at how this massive empire is and how successful it's become, you know, you expand to a certain point, you get there, and it's like, oh, wow, this is great. And then you start turning inward. You start looking at what's going on internally. And this is where the only way I can see you can blame Christianity. Because the emperor says, all right, this is what we are. Let's, let's deal with all of these religious arguments that we're having. So they do spend quite a bit of time on that. Yeah. Now, that does not necessarily contribute to the direct downfall. Mm-hmm. It doesn't contribute directly. But you're putting your energies into something right. new and different. There's a saying. You're either growing or you're dying. Now, yes. that is Once not necessarily true for people. Right. But it is true for empires. That's right. If you're not growing, you're dying. Because mm-hmm. if you're not growing, when you pause, that gives all of your enemies time to either gang up on you or... You've reached your limit, which is what they did. And so I think that is... Yeah. 
it's almost like a mathematical progression. As soon as you stop expanding, you have to contract. There's no... In a way, yeah, there's a lot of physics there, if you want to use that analogy. Um, you know, now we've not reached the point where the universe has started contracting yet. Everything is still expanding. Right. Uh, but theoretically, because... That's where it would go, yeah. There is resistance. You know, you have so much energy that can go out, mm-hmm. and it meets resistance, and it slows, and at some point, it's going to snap back. Right. And I think we've seen this throughout <coughs> history. Now, look at Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a great example of... Yeah, he reaches an apex, and then from then it's sliding down the other side. The Holy Roman Empire that eventually comes in from Charlemagne does the same thing. It mm-hmm. expands to a certain point, then the Protestant Revolution comes along, or the Reformation, depending on your point of view, and it basically has reached its snapping point, mm-hmm. and it fractures. Right, yeah, it breaks into little small pieces. And I'm not saying that Protestants are the barbarians. No. You can take that point if you want, but that's not what I'm saying! No. So anyways, so what do you guys think? Is What do you think of this as the premise of this time period? Christianity is taking up more time, uh, 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 more attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're focused internally, not just with Christianity and dealing with that, but just they've expanded as far as they're going to. I mean, I don't think there are any really large expansionary efforts, certainly not in the West. Everything's focused in the East. Mm-hmm. Once the capital moves to Constantinople, the West is considered... Um, almost barbarian territory. Almost bar- Yeah, it's like the yeah, Wild I mean, West. Even, even Rome is not the administrative center in Italy anymore. Ravenna becomes really where the, <clears throat> the imperial court is. Even um, so, yeah. I mean, like we said, there's there's so many things going on, and the famous Trevor Slattery. Hey, hey. It's, it's complicated. complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It's going on. So I think to, you're right. I, I I think picking out and saying, well, Christianity is why Rome fell. Now that's a, is is so myopic. Yeah. Uh, there's, then why didn't it fall in the east? It's Christian too. Right. Uh, there's just there's so many migratory pressures going on. The barbarians coming from the steppes and and pushing those peoples into Roman territory. There's mm-hmm. Well, they're expanding. Fighting, there's, there, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, their there's, expansion comes up against Rome's contraction. Yeah, and it nat- and naturally happens in the West. That's the outskirts of the empire now. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though there's two emperors, it's still the outskirts of the empire. Because yeah. geographically, when you think about uh, Rome in the West, it is it's almost indefensible if your center is in Italy. Because you're blocked by the Alps. Well, yeah. It, it, well, it, Rome was very much a sea power, too, in many ways. They, they were not naval by nature, but all of their but trade But they get where they needed to go. That's exactly right. Uh, There's the, so much of the lifeblood of the empire was their trade, and their trade is, in many respects, based on that Mediterranean area. And that also is how... The further you get away from that center yeah. of, of gravity, it gets more and more difficult. That is also how Christianity uh, it, it helps to be spread. Because it goes with that commerce. Right. Yes. Where Rome uh, goes, the, the church follows. Exactly. It's also during this period where uh, monasteries are being built like crazy. Mm-hmm. Because yes. once it's legal, mm-hmm. we can found real churches. Uh, we can, you know, St. Saint, uh, Saint John uh, Lateran Palace, or St. Uh, Lateran Palace in Rome is the oldest existing church. It was actually the home of a, uh, a noble, mm-hmm. a Rome, minor Roman noble, and it was turned over to the church. Mm-hmm. It was literally done in the 300s. This thing is incredible. 
seen it with my own eyes. It is phenomenal. Yeah. And it is literally the same building. And, you know, once you start getting that kind of presence, you know, you, you start being able to do things like establish the monasteries. The monasteries are what saves what it means to be Roman. Because that's right. where all of the learning and the education uh-huh. continues. Right. Yes. And so Rome see, sows the seeds of its own, I don't want to say salvation because it's not quite the right word, but it's also somewhat appropriate. Yeah. By legalizing Christianity, it has created the means by which what it means to be Roman will be continued. Yes. It's because otherwise the Dark Ages would have been immensely dark. Yes, the Dark Ages are only dark because there is no central political authority. Right. They're not dark because people stopped learning and they were illiterate. Yes, but you know, really, when you think about it, during this time, not everybody could read. Right. You know. Yes, there was more, uh, a larger literate class than after Rome fell. That's again because there was no central authority. There was no central educational system. Well, the bureaucracy, in many respects, only survives and thrives through the written word. Yes. So and the if you don't, word is in Latin. At exactly. Point. That's right. And, well, and it, if there's people not teaching Latin, yeah, right, in Rome the West, is gone. Yeah, exactly. In the West. in the West, it's Greek in the East. Yes. Uh, but it's ultimately that written language, wherever it is, that enables the business of empire to uh, continue. And that's it, why it, it I think decentralizes the becomes yeah. the power because they're the only ones that know how to to, to read and write. That's right. There's the, they're the only administrative body uh, that's that's out there. So let's pause here for just a moment. Yes. Because I want to uh, bring everyone's attention to this fine new bourbon that we are trying That's today. That's right. This is new this time. So uh, for uh, Christmas, you know, we are here in the beginning of 2020. Uh, and yeah. for Christmas, my eldest daughter, who is a uh, bourbon lover like myself, oh. gave me a bottle of Maker's Mark 46. And that is what we are trying today. This is Absolutely. something new for all, all three of us. Mm-hmm. None of us have tried this. None of this. Yeah. And um, I'm not a huge fan of regular makers. It's okay. But it's to good. me, it's not a standout bourbon. Uh, this is a notch above regular makers for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. got a bit of a bite. Uh, but a nice finish. Good good warmth and burn. Uh, but, you know, not making you cough like crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a little deeper... More complex flavor. Uh huh. So, yeah. It's 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 a richer color like it. than yes, some. Yes, exactly. It's 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 got that beef to it. You know, it's a a little bit of bite, but man, it is it's still. It's good. not one I would give to a new bourbon drinker. It's not because it's not smooth like a Basil Hayden or a Woodford Reserve. Right. In that sense. Not uh, too bad though. No, no, no. I like it. I like it's it. It's okay. Um, I, like I do it. like the warmth. The warmth yes. is in the right place. Exactly. It's not burning my mouth. It's not you know burning my throat. I mean, there's a little bit in the back of the throat, but it, it gives a good burn. The warmth, in the stomach. Is, warmth is a good word. Yeah, I yeah, like that. That, that describes that it well. Yeah, burn makes right. it sound harsher. But yeah, so it get a really good warmth in the esophagus and yeah. the, the stomach. So. so that that is our bourbon for the the, the episode is the Maker's Mark Forty Six. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And let me also say, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, oh, Happy yeah. New Year. Yeah, twenty twenty is going to be a great year. Yes, the new Roaring Twenties, the, the year of snakes it's and otters. otters. That's exactly yes. what we say. Twenty twenty yeah. is the year of snakes and otters. That's right. That's Get right. used to it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, what's this book you're holding so, here, Mark? Yes, because you are hitting right on this, and I loved this book. I read it a few years ago. I picked it up just kind of on a whim, but it's Peter Heather, the Restoration of Rome: Barbarian Popes and Imperial Pretenders. Interesting. And he discusses how men like Justinian mm-hmm. and Theodoric and Charlemagne, people we've just mentioned, 
really tried to reestablish Rome in the West. Oh, yeah. That was Very a much. big deal. But none of their efforts really survived them. Right. Clovis is another one, if I remember right. Uh, Clovis was the father of Charlemagne or grandfather? He's, uh, he's no, he's not father. Pepin was. Uh, grand, uh, he's either grandfather, grandfather. or great- grandfather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of where a lot of that... that... The tradition was that you, instead of passing the entire kingdom, the Frankish tradition, yeah. instead of passing the entire kingdom to one you son, broke it apart. you broke it apart and spread it to all of them, yeah. and then they'd have to fight to put it back together. Which is what Charlemagne, Charlemagne did. was the most successful his brother of Carloman, he, he But he dying. turned around and did exactly what he fought against, though, because he it, divided against it, divided it back two up. Sons, which essentially is what gave us France and Germany. Yeah. yeah. So Heather's contention is then that the church is the true successor state to Rome in the West. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it obvious just, to us, I would yeah. think. Now, you also had a book that you were working from a I do. bit. So we so, want to mention that. This book is called uh, The Church and the Roman Empire. And this is by an uh, author called uh, Mike Aquilina. And this is from uh, Ave Maria Press in uh, Indiana. Now, <clears throat> this is a great uh, publisher for uh, books on the church. Oh, yeah, yeah. And really Mike cool. Aquilina, he is a... Uh, He's a church historian. He's yeah. not uh, a theologian, uh, but he is very much into the history of uh, the church. And he's actually got a series, uh, The Early Church, The Church in the Roman Empire, this book, The Church in the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, The Church in the Reformation, The Age of Enlightenment, which I wish I had known that would have been great to talk about when we we're talking about Voltaire. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, The Church Facing the Modern Age. Uh, which really, I mean, if we really wanted to bring church stuff into anything, I'd buy one of these books. Yeah, because he, he's he very accessible whole, uh, as a reader, as, he as is. an author. He's very accessible. It's a thin book. It's only, it's not even 200 pages of reading. Uh, but it's got some, uh, got a nice uh, index in the back. Uh, so if you want to look up topics, it's there. It's very accessible. And it's uh, it's a little bit more commercial than, say, your book uh, by Heathers. Right? Well, Heather. actually, uh, I was going to mention that, too, that... Um, that's part of what I really enjoyed about Peter Heather as a historian. His his style is uh, earthy. Oh, okay. I okay. guess you could say so. It is an accessible uh, history book and uh, more narrative than uh, yeah, than very your, very much a narrative helpful. history. Yeah, that's uh, helpful. Again, yeah. he does, he covers Justinian, Theodoric, uh, and Charlemagne, uh, and then discusses how then in the 11th century the the church structures then becomes that successor state, mm-hmm. how the popes became that push to stabilize all of Europe. Right. Yeah. And, and again, his style is, is very accessible, very earthy. Um, I think it was the first history book with swear words in it that I think I picked up. Oh, so wow. I, it was super cool. That's, I that's, really that's, enjoyed that's a snakes and otters kind of book. <laughs> yeah, so it's really enjoyable. So, so that's three books we're already recommending in one episode then. That's a lot for us. <laughs> yeah, so Neil Oliver... Peter Heather and Mike Aquilina. Yep, yep. Cool. So, the whole thing with, because, you know, when you think of Rome, you always think of empire and you think of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, and certainly the, the church needed the empire yeah. to spread after it became legal as fast and as far as it did. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it spread fast and far on its own. It did. But once it became the de facto religion of uh, the Roman Empire, by default, it is going to spread throughout civilized the civilized world. Because mm-hmm. even what it doesn't do or what it does do in the West, you remember the East is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it does all of Asia, 
uh, into Russia and you know even reaches out into the to the Far East. It's not as successful there, right? Uh, but it you know it really gets far out, uh, far out into the into the East. And of course, you know it's into it's into Africa as far down as uh, as Libya and um, Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's a pretty about as far as it's sustainable to be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, it's good to talk about the two of them together because they really do help one another. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's not an either or. It's not one against the yes. other. Yes. At this point, Roman history and church history are completely intertwined. They, they are. are essentially mm-hmm. the same thing. One thing I've said about the early church councils, uh, there's a great book. Uh, this will be book number four to recommend. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, um, oh, shoot. Uh, it's Kenneth Whitehead, I think, is the author. And it is uh, about the uh, early church councils, the first seven, the one that are we call the ecumenical councils that the East and the West participated in. And... It is a uh, it's a great book because it also covers a lot of how those councils affected the society at the time and how the people thought about it. For instance, the last council that occurred in the West that yes, one holy, holy Catholic, Catholic and apostolic. apostolic. Yes, yeah, thank that's you. right. Yeah, love that book. Yeah, because it, it, um, it, it, it lays out all the issues in a very concise manner. It does that they dealt with. And he also talks quite a bit about how, where it's appropriate, where uh, how the people were a part of this process. So even yeah, though Rome that's... is an empire, mm-hmm. people are still fairly important here, especially yes. when it comes to the church. So w- the very last one uh, at Ephesus, which is the one where Mary is given the title Theotokos, yeah. Mother of God. Yes, God-bearer. That God-bearer, yes. Uh, this is one that came from the people. Where the the Romans, uh, and granted, this is still you know this is over towards the east. This is actually not yeah, far from is, Constantinople. Yeah, Ephesus is very close over to the to Constantinople. But it's one that is generated by the people, and it is the last one that is you know includes the east and the west as as empires. And I just, I just found that somewhat interesting is that the people had still at this point in Rome's history. Now I don't know if that's partially because of Christianity or not. Because this is also at the same time you've got the warlords yeah. taking over Italy and putting puppet emperors on the throne. Because this, this is the 450s. Mm-hmm. Rome is, you know, yes, somebody's you, just you, waiting you, to blow out the last yeah. candle here. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're through uh, Theodosius and Honorius and all mm-hmm. that stuff. He was probably the last true emperor, Honorius. That's right. Yeah. He was the last one who wielded true power as an emperor. Yes, the, the rest West. are puppets of the... Oh, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation. Magister Militums. Yeah. Yes. That's close enough. Magister Militum. Those are almost always barbarians. Ricimer, Orestes. Mm -hmm. And they are putting Roman puppets, Alibrius and people like that on the throne. You raise a good point I want to make sure we don't lose. And I think this, in many respects, answers a lot of the questions we're talking about. Rome is successful because of the people that that it works with here. And that's in, in for all yeah. times. That's what it is not. It doesn't rule by fiat. Well, not not. I mean, it rules by law. Well, yes. Which is which is not which is not a whim. Uh, it's and that's why it's sustainable over time. Even though those who are working it change, as it has to. The fact that the people themselves are recognized and have some voice. Citizens. Citizenship. It's a radical concept for the time. That's exactly right. Citizenship. 
uh, we get that from Rome because you have certain rights and responsibilities that come from that. And I think it's that legal aspect that the church latches onto and brings forward. Well, it's very compatible with church teaching. Correct. Uh, because all rights have responsibilities. Absolutely. That's uh, one of the things that, see, that's something we, as, in the, as an American society, don't always get as well because we not work anymore. through. Not anymore. Because we, we come from English common law, which is all about precedent. Everything is, it, you're, you, do, you get to do what you get to do or not based on because somebody else has already done it or not. And Roman law, and this has works for the church since then, and this is one of the reasons it's so successful, I believe, is because you state a standard. Mm-hmm. And all the legal or church or administrative systems work towards that standard as best they can. And you're not dependent upon what somebody else did. You're dependent upon a, an objective, best you can make it that way, standard. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. I think this far is far more fair and just. I think this is... In our English system. I think this is an excellent point for, I think, why the church and Rome as an, as an empire go, go so well together. That's right. Um, and, and why, as we've said before, America, I think, is the most um, philosophical direct descendant mm-hmm. of certainly the Roman Republic. Yes. Although we have morphed into being a direct descendant of the Roman Empire as well. That's right. Unfortunately, yeah. that's way which is why, as we've said, you know, we we have uh, grave fears for the future, sure. you know, because of where we are in that timeline. But as one of the Enlightenment authors said, uh, and actually, no, uh, this was a hmm, it's Ben Franklin. It was one of the founders, I think. I'm blanking on who it was. Okay. But throw it out uh, there. We'll figure it out. The United States, this political experiment. Just as, this is my parenthetical, just as Rome, as that idea of Rome, they were meant for a moral people. Wow. Now, a moral people have to agree on what those morals are. There are are standards. Well, yeah, law is intended to be that way. That's, I think, one of the saving graces of Christianity for Rome. Gave them that standard. Yeah, and the basis of morality is a recognition of the divine nature of the human person. John Adams had said that. Thank you. I thought it might have been Adams, but I didn't want to say Adams. It was Adams, that's correct. Uh, In in, in 1798, he says, Our Constitution was made only for a moral people. Exactly. Now. It it only works that way, too. It does. From a pragmatic standpoint as well as an ethical one. Now, when you look at the fall of Rome because remember it starts from the outside and comes inward you know they lose Spain Mm -hmm. they lose Gaul Britain the Germany yeah uh, they lose Britain uh, probably nearer the end surprisingly yes surprisingly yeah Uh, they lose the the Germanys and uh, the Slavic regions as they Mm -hmm. uh, come in slowly losing Africa was probably the real killer because we wouldn't think of this today, but Africa was the breadbasket. Mm-hmm. Yes, Egypt's the bread. When you lose the food source, you can't feed Italy anymore. That's right. And so when you have all these pressures from people who do not share the same value system or the same idea of what a moral good and what is right and wrong, mm-hmm. encroaching, that's where the, the shrinking, and, and they are more powerful because they're more organized, they're more committed uh, on the fringes mm-hmm. than Rome is. Because Rome, again... Has decayed? It's decayed, but it's also... Um, the real power is in the East. Right. See, I think if, if the... I, 
I think if the capital of Rome as an empire was still in Italy, I think history would have gone a much different way. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because so, you've got this other gravitational pull right. that takes away all the, all the power. powers in the East, yeah. including the military power. So Constantine saves and destroys Rome oh, yeah, by moving yeah. the capital. Oh, yeah, you could probably say it. You could probably very much put it that way, yeah. He not only see, sows the seeds for its destruction, but also for its salvation. Yes. Or vice versa, depending on how you want yes. to phrase it. I think I think that's the better way to phrase it. He yeah. sowed the seed for the destruction, but then also that... Preservation. That Preser preservation yeah, that's the better comes word. in second, because again, the church is the successor state. Right. It's we, it's, it is reborn in the West. I mean, and it has through the, to, it has the to church. Through the yes. church. And reborn it has to, through the church. It has to grow up again. Resurrected. Yeah, exactly. Very, oh, aren't you very good? <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very nice, good. Yeah. That's yeah, brilliant. So, it, I got two more things. Let's hear it, brother. First off, uh, you have a tremendous hat on today, Robert. Thank you. Thank uh, you, sir. It's, I've been trying to think of what it is. It's black, and it's like this great... Parsons, priests, yes, clerics, hat. wonderful. Yeah, exactly right. It gives you a very priestly, authoritative air today. And uh, you've not used, that I am a priest. You've used that tremendously because I think you your passion with this episode was amazing. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, you did kind a, words. Uh, it's I'm like wow. You you ran a great episode today, brother. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, anything else we want to add in here, gentlemen? Because we could go on and on with this. No, I think we I think we have done a, a very good job. I mean, there's so much we could do. You're right. But I think we ended up very, very well. Uh, I think we're done. I think we've wrapped this So what's up. coming up next? We are going to go do our Code of Honor episode next. Excellent. We're back to Excellent. that one again. We've got some great ideas lined up for all that. Uh, we've kind of figured out a way where each of us has this one thing we want to say, and we kind of wrap it all together. Uh, Code of Honor episodes are one of those that we just kind of start and see where it takes us. We don't have, we yeah. don't overly plan those. I thought we did that every time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more uh, so with those. More so with those. Yeah, we really have no idea where that's going to go. We ha we kind of knew where this uh, Roman episode. You, you've got to end with the fall. Yes, uh, it's kind of done that. So next time we do Rome, we're That's doing right. we the. Talk about that. Uh, it's the the legacy of the Rome. legacy of Rome. Legacy. So and that and Fran uh, 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 Francis, you are going to lead that one. I believe you? that I am yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, we're going to kind of take and I'll put all these all these pieces together that we've seen and see how much of Rome do we still have, how much should we have, how much should we not have, and where does that all come together? Uh, because it all of this is meant to have relevance for us today, with those eternal questions that we get into. Awesome. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us, and please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.